listening to the Art of Fulfillment podcast. We interview the world's most fulfilled people to share with you the strategies, techniques, and ideas that can help you master your own art of fulfillment. Life isn't about external success. It's all about fulfillment. Or in other words, how you feel about yourself when you are by yourself. All right, guys, today's guest is an absolute force, and I think you're going to get super fired up listening to him. I was just telling him, I was scrolling through his Instagram right before this, and I was getting jacked up beyond belief, and I'm just like ready to jump out and take action, but I actually have the pleasure of speaking with him, so I'll take action after this podcast, of course. But a little bit about our guest today, he's the founder of Conquer Academy, which is a performance and leadership academy for the top performers in the world to help them get to the next level in their business, and most importantly, their life. He's a former 75th uh, Ranger Regiment officer, and he takes his leadership and skills that he learned in the military and puts it into Conquer Academy, and not just in Conquer Academy, but on his Instagram page where he gives out tons of free knowledge, which is pretty crazy how much free tactical advice is out there that he gives about how to really improve your life. And it's not just bullshit, woo-woo, motivational stuff. It's real practical advice that you can implement on a daily basis. And that's actually going to get you the results that you desire because our guest is all about constant evolution and most importantly, fulfillment, which is why I think he's such an awesome guest for the show. So please, without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Jeremiah Sullivan. All right, Joe. Hey, thank you for uh, for bringing me on. Great introduction, man. I'm humbled and uh, honored to be here, part of this message that you're sending out in the world. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that, and I appreciate you being here because uh, you know everything about you just gets me so excited. And I think you got such a great story and so much to give to our audience and and most importantly the world. So it's really really a pleasure to have you on. Um, and one thing that I really liked about your background and there was a video that on your Instagram page where you're talking about how you were growing up. And uh, there was a moment in your life where you realized that your life wasn't where you wanted it to be. And uh, you said that eventually, you know, that was the moment where you realized what was going to give you your drive going forward. And I thought that was so powerful. So what was that moment like for you exactly? And what did you do to actually take control of your life in that moment? Sure, absolutely. Um, So I guess the the first thing to kind of know about me is that that's kind of been a catalyst in my life every time I've changed a chapter. But it really, the strongest moment started when I was 18 years old. Um, so I come from a very small town in Northern California. It's more of a village, really. Like people think California, they think city. I grew up in a little town of 300 people. I was a small, shy kid. And I really didn't have a whole lot of context for the world. Um, you know, I watched sports on TV and, and kind of dismissed it as a fantasy, right? I never really thought that that was for me and that, I didn't really have an idea of what success was. Um, I just saw myself as a bystander in life. So that kind of shapes who I was as a kid. Um, I grew up in in Northern California hunting bears with my dad. And then um, I got into high school and some older kids encouraged me to come out for wrestling. And I said, all right, let me try this out. And I actually ended up getting pretty good. So my freshman year, I lost a ton. My sophomore year, I lost and then won some. And then my junior year, I was winning quite a bit. And really my junior year in high school is when I said, you know what? I want to start living this and I want this to become my thing. I started getting super obsessed about it. And I mean, I'm working out two, three, four times a day. I said, hey, I'm going to go to state. 
Um, I'm going to go on to college and I'm going to make this my profession. And so I got super obsessed kind of late in life is, is what I like to tell people. Mm -hmm. I feel like I got started late dreaming and my senior year came, I lost two matches my senior year and all of my dream came down to this one match where I was fighting for a true second match. So in wrestling, I went to the regional qualifying tournament. And what happens is it's a 16-man bracket. On one side of the bracket, you wrestle all the guys. And then on the other side of the back bracket, they wrestle each other. And I ended up losing to the guy who took first place in the, in the overall tournament. So that brought me down to fight for third and fourth. Well, in the regional qualifying tournament, when you wrestle for third and fourth place, if you beat the fourth place guy, you take third, then you wrestle for a true second match and can wrestle the guy that was on the opposite side of the bracket and go on to beat him and then go to state. Hmm. And I had beaten that guy earlier in the year. So I find myself in this true second match, hardest match of my life, and I'm wrestling this guy. We go into double overtime, and I end up beating him like a movie like the clock was counting down five four three two one i take him down and it's the most emotional experience that i've ever had in my life and i'd win and to me i'm like hey my dream's coming true and i get up and i go to my coach i hug him i'm, I'm crying you know emotional and he said hey great job jeremiah but i got bad news um they're not taking true second this year and so <clears throat> my coach didn't want me to be distracted by that he wanted me to perform at my best so at that time my whole world came crashing down i didn't have any plans to do anything you know my whole dream my obsession was was this mm -hmm. and i stopped really believing in myself um and i didn't know what to do so i ended up kind of doing what everybody else was doing i had some people that i knew and they were going to go to a community college close by so i joined them and i went to uh, a community college in california I lived in Chico State for a little bit, went to Butte Community College. And that was the moment that we're talking about here. You know, you mentioned I had a moment where I got fed up, life wasn't the way I wanted it, and this is that moment. So I'm doing several semesters, do two semesters at this community college, and I'm just empty inside. And every day I'm hating it, I'm starting to party, um, I'm not just liking life. And one day I come home, and it's two in the afternoon, and I walk in the door and we had two apartments adjacent to each other. So there's six of us total living in these two apartments. And I walk in, it's 2 PM and everybody's partying. There's beer cans all over the place. There's all kinds of stuff that you still want to be a part of all over the place. And I walk in and I said, I'm fucking done. And I walk into my room, I close the door and I end up enlisting into the army a couple months later. Uh, it's just, <clears throat> so I immediately said, I'm tired of this situation. I'm getting out of here. And I was living with a good group of guys. They were nice people, but I just felt out of place. I didn't have purpose and you know, all my dreams were crushed. So I was trying to find myself. Mm, wow, dude, that's really powerful. Yeah. So it was uh, one of the, the biggest moments in my life where I just said, you know what, I've had enough and I need to change this. So that was the first, the first thing um, that did it. And that put me into the army. And that was, you know, 2005 when I, when I first started. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah, it reminds me of a quote that says, like, in life, we either need inspiration or desperation. In that moment, it seems like the desperation really took over and, and yeah. you channeled that frustration and anger into something powerful. And you were like, fuck it, I'm going to take control of your life. So what made you want to go to the army? Was that something that you've always had, like, in the back of your mind, like, maybe going through life? Or was it just something where you were just like, fuck it, I'm just going to go to this? Like, what was yeah. it was kind of like your because like, it seems like a pretty quick turnaround there. And that's like a huge decision. So I'm, I'm yeah. curious, like, why the army? So when I was in high school, my, I hung out with my best friend, whose name was Max, and I had a girlfriend, um, and both of them ended up joining the Army. And so the two people that were closest to me left, and I spent every single day with them, you know, from the time I was 14 to the time I was 18. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so they took off, and when I went to college, I was with a new group of friends, after, at this point in time, after a couple semesters, when I said, I'm done with this, I had seen the life that they were living, my, my ex-girlfriend at the time and my best friend. And I was like, well, that doesn't look so bad. Um, that looks like it's something I could do. Hmm. But what's funny is that throughout high school, I dodged the recruiter left and right. I hated the guy. I was like, there's no way in hell I'm joining the army. I told him to his face because he was always trying to recruit my best friend and my girlfriend, right? And, I, and he would come after me. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> um, so in high school, I was always dodging him. And funny story, you know, later on, after I ended up joining the army and I came home on leave one day, my, my brother opened up my yearbook from the third grade. And in the yearbook, I had told them that I wanted to join the army. And that's what I wanted to do for a career. And I had forgotten all about it. So all this life happens and I ended up... <laughs> you know, in a self-fulfilling prophecy from being eight years old, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. And I think it also reminds me of a, of a post that you were saying, you were like, yeah, like I was just thinking about it and I became kind of obsessed with it, right? Like, like literally it was just in your psyche, like, and even probably when you were in high school, not like consciously thinking about it, I bet it was in that subconscious, like, you know, in the mind, just kind of brewing in there. And then, you know, once you became like frustrated and fed up, you tapped into that and kind of let yeah. it go. So like, and I love how you say, like, you need to, focus on something and build desire about that thing because over one, two, five, ten years, if you keep focusing on that one thing, like it's eventually going to come true. Like you said, eventually came true that you were in the army and then you absolutely killed it in there too. Like you were just focusing on it. So what does that process actually look like of building desire and building focus on something? Cause I think nowadays distraction is way too fucking easy with all like, you know, the Instagrams and the popping up notifications and everything like that. So what does that process look like of actually like building that focus? Yeah, I think a lot of people get discouraged because they either can't generate the vision or they think it's so far away that they can't get to it. So in order to generate desire, I tell people and what I try to do myself is go as far as you can see. And then when you get there, we'll see further. And so, you know, creating the vision gets you started. And um, the process is really what, what fuels you. You know, if you're, if you're hungry for that vision, you're hungry for that achievement everything else, you just lose track of time and space and everything falls into place. So I always try to have a vision to start with and then understand that the vision is just a stepping stone and that everything's going to pivot. So when I first came into the army, I didn't know anything about special operations. I didn't know anything about anything. I just was like, you know, I'm tired of this situation. Let me get away from this. And when I first started out, you know, I, I decided to choose a career path in the army that made sense. That was what everybody else thought I should do. So I started calling around, calling my friends, my family. 
And I said, hey, what do you guys think I should do? And everybody's advice was to do something you can use when you get out. Mm. And I said, okay, well, so I enlisted as an engineer originally. I did civil engineer type work where I worked in a drafting and design section in my battalion. And when I got through the initial stages of training, I immediately deployed. Probably like four months later, after I finished training, I ended up deploying in, in August of 2006. Oh, fuck. And so I went right to Iraq. And again, you got to think, like, I'm coming from no dreams, being crushed. I get through some of the initial stages of training in the Army. And while I'm going through training, I'm doing really well. The more responsibility, like, I'm a quiet kid, but as soon as you start giving me responsibility, I started leading and doing really well. In fact, I had one of the, uh, I was in charge of the platoon that I had in basic training. It was 40 soldiers. I was the student leader. And I led them throughout eight weeks. It's a nine-week basic training course. I led them for eight weeks. And on the ninth week, the drill sergeants took the responsibility away from me and gave it to somebody else so they could walk the platoon to graduation. I was pissed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'd be pissed, too. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, so chasing desire, you know, if, for the guys listening, if you're trying to figure out how to get it, you know, lower the bar, create the initial vision, and just start because it's going to pivot. It's going to change. So my trajectory changed at that moment. I said, hey, I'm fed up, right? And then I get into the Army. I start achieving a little bit of success in training. My confidence starts coming back, right? When you start achieving, your confidence goes up. And the more, the more you believe in yourself, the more you act and the more results you get, right? And Tony Robbins talks about that. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I start getting this momentum. And then the next thing you know, I'm in Iraq. And I'm away from my friends, my family. I don't, you know, I'm again by myself. And I had this moment. I'm in a, in a town, in downtown Bakuba. And the 82nd Airborne is going through and they're clearing the city. And my, my responsibility was to come in behind them with my team and set up these patrol bases that they could occupy. So it's late at night, it's like 2 a.m. And there's a huge gunfight going on, probably a mile from where I'm working. And when I say gunfight, I mean, Apaches are coming in, there's ground clearance, there's all this stuff. And my responsibility is not the fight. My responsibility is this patrol base. So I remember we're all finished for the day and I'm laying down at night and I'm sleeping in between some barriers, some concrete barriers protecting myself sleeping in body armor my helmet's on i got my gun and in the middle of the city while this is going on i remember thinking this isn't for me Hmm. and i said i should be over there i should be over in that gunfight and i didn't like the helpless feeling that i had and i wanted to do i wanted to be at the point of friction and um so that was another pivot where things started i started realizing that life wasn't the way i wanted it and at this point, I start having a little bit of confidence. So I'm like, maybe I can do something else, right? Maybe I can do the next thing. So throughout that deployment, it was a 12-month deployment to start. And then the surge happened. It got extended to 15 months. And during that entire 15 months, I had experienced a bunch of different leaders around me, some good, some bad. And my parents taught me when I was a kid that if you don't like something, you do something about it. Right. So I had this feeling that, hey, I need to change my situation and... I don't like this quality of leader and I want to do something to make a difference. So the idea got brought to me to do the Army's Green to Gold Scholarship Program. And I didn't think I would qualify for it. You know, you had to have this physical training score. You had to have the GPA. You had to have letters of recommendation. And here I am in my mind, a small town kid from Trinity Center, California, that's not going to be able to achieve that, right? Mm. 
but I decided to take a risk and go for it. And too much of my surprise, I get approved and that changes my trajectory. Right. And it all started with wanting to get out of my situation again, to, to make a difference and, and really stop listening to everybody else and just give myself a chance. Mm. And so do you think like the, those, like the confidence that you were building by breaking through the limits allowed you to do that? Because it seems like you were like way different person uh, from that moment when you were like, I should be out there than you were like in that state of hopelessness. And do you think like that all came from like those wins that you were getting before and kind of just stacking that confidence or did it, did it come from something else? Yeah. So that, I think a lot of it came, the, a lot of it came from, from that for sure. Um, you know, I wanted to take a chance on myself and, you know, while I was in Iraq, I got to see a lot of different things. And, you know, I had some guys close to me get hurt, some guys that I knew they got killed. Mm-hmm. And specifically, there was a, a lieutenant that we had in our battalion. He was um, struck by an IED blast and, you know, shrapnel him in the legs. He bled out in our medic's arms. Um, I wasn't on that patrol, but I knew him. Mm-hmm. And I was, again, you know, 18, 19 years old at this time. And um, when he died that really made me start thinking about what I wanted to get out of life. And the whole time I was in Iraq, I was thinking about it too. Remember this is a time where we didn't have like Facebook and social media and all this stuff in 2006, 2007, it wasn't mainstream like it is today. So I had a lot of time just to think about what I wanted and not look at what everybody else was doing. Right. Right. And so I had this, I, I, you know, this clarity came about where I was like, you know what, I need to start living for myself. Like life is it's, it's, it's fragile. And so I wanted to take a chance on myself. I said, you know what? Screw it. I got nothing to lose. And so I decided to go back to college and finish what I started, hmm. which was a huge thing for me. I didn't like, I don't like quitting stuff. So that was big for me. I want to go back to school, finish what I started. It didn't matter what I studied. I just wanted to do it. I wanted to pursue a career in the military because I liked some of it and didn't like some of it. I wanted to make a difference. And uh, then I wanted to start living for myself. So that's what I did. And I went all in on the Green to Gold Scholarship Program. Um, I made it in to the program. I went to college. Uh, along the way, I met a couple mentors that said, hey, there's the infantry and there's everything else. And this is the hardest thing that you can do. And then that one thing led to the next. The next thing you know, um, I get super obsessed about the infantry and special operations and getting into the 75th Ranger Regiment. And years later, I find myself living that dream. And I'm, I'm getting the most unique assignments that you can imagine. Um, I'm serving with some of the best people in the military and just to give some context, like I won the lottery and to give you some context, I earned you know, one of four positions in the entire U S army annually. Oh fuck. And I, I got recognized. My team got recognized by the CIA for some of the stuff that we were doing overseas. Holy so shit. it was a really, really unique experience. And it all started by saying, screw it. I'm not going to. Listen to what everybody else says. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to take a chance on myself. Right, right. And, and so did it take that like crazy moment to just see that life was so fragile to, to realize that? Because I, 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 I always tell myself, it's like, you know, I always imagine like what it would be like if, I don't know, I were to die tomorrow or something like that. And I think a lot of people can't contextualize that like unless they're actually being put in that situation, you know, like unless like it seems like a lot of people in life, they'll, they'll get in these like situations that, you know, maybe they almost die in a car accident and they get this terrible disease like a cancer or something. And then they bounce back like crazy. Whereas the person who like never had that adversity in their life, like they, you know, just kind of coast through life. And I speak from experience because I was there. Like I told you before this podcast, I grew up 
pretty goddamn sheltered, you know, upbringing and it was easy. And like, I was just like, ah, fuck it. Like, whatever. I'm just going to do what everyone else says. So do you think that, you know, you were able to do that because you were putting yourself through hard situations and, and, and basically just like seeing what you were made of? Cause, uh, like, or even just, you know, seeing like someone you knew just died is like crazy like that. But like, was it also a stacking of the other things that you were learning in the army as well? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it, I had, like I said, I had a lot of time to think about myself and my situation and, and, you know, I didn't have all these distractions overseas. You know, I was either doing a mission or I was focused on myself, right? Like in my own thoughts and mind and, you know, an idle mind is the devil's playground, you know, unless you learn to master the playground. And, and so that was, that was the, you know, the theme of my deployment in 2006 to 2007, the end of 2007, was I spent a lot of time being introspective, figuring out what I really want. And to anybody that doesn't have that like value for life, put yourself in the positions to generate it. So, you know, go to a senior citizen's home or go volunteer somewhere so you can see like, Hey man, this is real because it changes everything. It literally changes everything. Right, right. We're all like the the fact that we're all gonna die is such an empowering thing. It's yes. so, it is so empowering, man. And like a lot of people say, Oh, that's dismal, it's dark. It's like, yeah, if you choose to see it that way or you right. say it, it's like, man, I got this amount of time, the hour the freaking sand hourglass is running out, like what am I gonna do with my life? Am I gonna conform to what other people think or am I gonna actually stand up and fight for what I believe in? And I think that's a, such a powerful message what you're displaying in your entire background and story. And I love how, you know, you actually got to the place that you wanted to be in that area. And I think that's just, there's so fucking awesome. So when you were in that uh, amazing position in the special forces, doing what you love, like there's a lot of probably stressful things that go on in there. Like I'm, you know, like you say, you've been shot at a bunch of times, probably like a lot of times where you have to just keep that emotional resiliency. And I think one of the keys to achieve a fulfilling life is to be emotionally resilient. So like what are some of the things that you did to keep yourself emotionally in tuned during like those really intense moments? Cause I think if people can get that right, they can get a lot of things right when they are trying to do something that's going to uh, involve suffering and adversity and failure. Yeah. Um, so you're specifically asking how do I deal manage stress in, in a chaotic environment? Yep. So the, the first thing is when you're in that environment, you really don't have much time to think about anything else other than what's right in front of you. So handling the current situation is the first thing. And then learning to cope with a stressful situation before it happens is the other thing. A lot of people don't prepare for stressful moments. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, you know, all my training and I do this today, even with in business now, you know, I prepare for those stressful moments ahead of time. That way when they do happen, I'm able to negotiate them a lot easier. So those two things really, um, kind of help you negotiate that, right? So if you're in a stressful environment or whatever it is, focus on the task at hand, get it conquered, get it mastered. And then when you get the opportunity to start preparing, you can start managing that and start preparing for yourself for the next chaotic situation. So those two things should help. Um, you know, I think what's, what's carried me through a lot of that is just this feeling of being protected. You know, I, I've been shot at a very close range and there's this calm that comes about me. I don't know, it's kind of unusual. Where I'm burning on the inside, but I'm just like laser focused. Um, and I don't say all this to like try to talk myself up. These are words that some of my guys have used to describe me. So mm -hmm. it's really hard for me to actually even talk about myself. But but to kind of convey, I'm trying to what I'm trying to convey is that people should have trust and faith, yeah. right? When you're in a chaotic situation, have trust and faith that you're going to be okay. That way, you can focus on the most important part. 
Right, right. And it also starts with the belief, right? The belief that you can put yourself through. And I'm sure like through all the amazing things that you've done in your life, you can just kind of pull that out and be like, wait, like I did this thing. I did this thing. Like I made it out alive. Like it was fine. Like you just kind of carry yourself through. So I think that's super cool. So coming out of the army too, what was your decision process like when you said, Hey, I want to start conquer Academy and start to contribute to the world. Cause I like that. I feel like it's another huge pinnacle in your life. Like, you know, after kind of going through something that you wanted for so long and then moving on to something else, which is, I think really interesting because a lot of people will think once I get to this one thing, then I'm, I've made it in life. And then, but there's always more steps. There's, there's usually always more steps. So what was kind of like your, your thought process like, was there any, like, like, were you, was it driven by like contribution or like, what was kind of like your drive behind wanting to take that next step in your life at a point where you were at a really, really high pinnacle point in your life? Yeah. So the first thing is, um, I think the highlight is fulfillment ebb and flows and, what really got me to where I am now is that, that flow. Um, when I first decided to switch from you know, being an engineer to getting in the infantry and I was getting super obsessed about special operations, I used to pray every single night that, you know, Hey, I, said, I would say, Hey God, if, if you can give me this opportunity, these things that I'm looking for, I, I swear to you, I will pay it forward tenfold for the rest of my military career. Mm-hmm. And I did that every single night. And through that, this agreement that we had and my obsession with getting there, I ended up getting exactly what I wanted, some of the rarest opportunities. And like all things, they come to an end, right? And I remember my last Ranger mission. I remember coming off the bird. I remember leaving regiment. And then I had to go on. So in the 75th Ranger regiments for, for officers, it's required that you go back and forth between special operations and the conventional force. Mm-hmm. So after I got done with my 75th Ranger Regiment platoon leader and strike force leader time, it was time for me to move on and become a company commander. And so I left the 75th Ranger Regiment. I went to a school in Georgia and my entire dream was pulled from me, right? I, I moved to this, this little base in, in Georgia. And at the time, my wife is very entrepreneurial as well. And we had to make the decision, does she come with me or do we leave her in Washington to grow her business while I'm away, even though I just deployed, I've already been gone for multiple months and go to this school and then try to get back to Washington. So that was the original plan. So I had my dream taken from me. I go to this school and I'm kind of starting to hit a low point. And when I say kind of hitting the low point, I hit rock bottom. Um, I was in an academic course. I really didn't want to be in. I had already fulfilled my dream. I was kind of drifting again. My wife was away from me. I hadn't been home in months. And this course was another 10 months. So that, for, that deployment, the last deployment with regiment, would be the start of a two-year time frame away from my wife in the name of entrepreneurship. So we made these sacrifices to grow businesses, to help each other, to, to, for her to try and achieve success. And so we spent two years apart starting from that, that last deployment with regiment. And so here I am after the dream's been taken from me, right? And I'm in this new environment. I'm sleeping in a really shitty apartment on an air mattress so that we can save money and build this new life that we want in the middle of nowhere by myself again. Wow. And so I go through this course and, you know, I'm dealing with some other things too. So I got some combat stress going on. Um, 
And I, that, that deploy, the last deployment was very rewarding, but it was also about, there was a heavy burden as well, right? There's a lot of stuff that happened out there. So I ended up going to this course and at the end of it, like I said, me and my wife are trying to build her business and I'm getting entrepreneurial as well. I'm starting to think like, Hey, you know, I, I've had some success in the military. What else can I do to um, help out in the world and, and actually help us build a better life? So I started getting inquisitive. Mm-hmm. After that academic course, um, the army asked me, where do I want to go? They say, Hey, what duty station do you want? And long story short, I end up picking a duty station that lands me another deployment. So when I said two years, this is the back end of that two-year time away from my wife. We make the decision because we're going to sell our home in Washington. We're going to, I'm going to deploy because I love to deploy because I feel like that's my purpose. Hmm. And I'm going to go be a company commander. I'm going to help out overseas. And then when I get back, we'll have money saved up. I'll have made a difference. And we'll be in a really good position to either grow her business or do whatever I'm doing. So we make that, we make that call. And my, my wife ends up, um, couch surfing for the entire, you know, 10 months or so that I'm overseas. She's living out of her car one week. She's, you know, because we're homeless. We sold our house in Washington. We're trying to find a place, this new duty station. We can't find anything. I'm deployed. She wants to go to business. So she's, she's couch surfing. We're trying to figure it out. Anyway, so <laughs> we get through all that deployment. We, we buy a home in Colorado. We buy an investment property, a multifamily property. She moves in. We, uh, build up her business. And while that's happening, I'm soul searching. Mm. I'm saying, okay, I've had my dream. What's next? Do I want to go back to special operations? And do I want to make that my career? Or do I want to switch gears? And I made the hard decision to let go of the military and move into entrepreneurship and coaching because as much as I want to do the military and live that life and that dream again, one, it's over. Two, I think I can make a bigger impact in the world in entrepreneurship and with my coaching company. I can only go so far in the military. I can make a good impact. I can, I can do some things. But if I start now, long term, I'm going to affect more people. So I've made that decision to switch gears so I can influence and impact the world around me and, and contribute to a greater cause more than my, my selfish. Hey, I want to go kick in some more doors and, and nab bad guys. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Damn, dude, that must've been a really tough decision. Like, especially like, like you said, like being at a place where you love to be and you know, you probably get that, that satisfaction of like, like you said, kicking bad guys asses and, and going out there and making a cause. Cause it's, I mean, it's such an amazing contribution that you're making there. So do you think that you would have been able to make that decision if you didn't know like what your purpose was or like, or, or do you think that you probably would have, if you didn't know what your purpose was, do you think you would have stayed in the military or how did that, how did purpose play a role in your decision-making? I guess is my, uh, is my question there. So the idea of Conquer Academy got introduced to me by my first coach. Mm. Um, I hired a guy to help me perform better, to help me get started in business. And we worked together for multiple years. And then one day he asked me, he said, hey, have you ever thought about coaching? You're really good at influencing and developing people. And I kind of laughed. I was like, no. I was like, I'm not going to, like, that's not me. I was like, let's think of something realistic, right? A little kid came out again. (laughs) but I thought about it for a second and I looked at his life and I considered his credentials and stuff. And I was like, you know what? Like, why not just take a chance? Mm. 
And I was like, yeah, I like it. I'm, I'm good at helping people. I have these skills in leadership. I have these skills in performance. Like there's a lot of people out there that say that they're performance coaches, but they haven't done anything. Oh yeah. yeah. I'm like, show me the first guy that's been a hundred miles. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. but, but I mean, not to discredit them or anything, but there's just, I, I think the way I think of performance is different than the way most people do. And, um, so I, I said, you know what? I started like breathing myself a little bit and I said, let me just give this a shot. And when I started it, I mean, immediately it, it stuck. Like people came to me, people gravitated to me. As soon as I announced it, um, people were asking for help. And from there, it's just been one thing after the next. That's just kind of, it's been a purpose in my life that I didn't really plan for. Right. It just kind of has happened. And I think people can get there. If you have listeners right now, they're like, man, how do I find my purpose? Right. Um, it's, it's a couple of things. It's listening to your heart, listening to your gut, you know, cause your gut will tell you when I was introduced to that idea, you know, my gut said you should do this, but my brain, my, uh, my neocortex was saying, Hey, no, you, you, you don't, you're not, you're not good enough. Right. It was logically trying to talk me out of it. So you really just got to listen to your subconscious and be like, you know what? I, I can give myself a chance. And that, that will put put you in the right direction and then from there you can pivot right exactly yeah that 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 voice in the head can get so fucking annoying sometimes just just trying to bog you down and i think people just got to learn how to not listen to it like yeah sure like be aware that it's there but like you said before like you got to master the playground of your mind you got to master you got to sit and literally look at your thoughts and be like is this going to help me is this not going to help me and i think that's like a really cool point that you always talk about so yeah, so you can, you can practice it. You can build it like a skill. You can build listening to your gut like a skill, and it starts with the simple things. So I like to use trash as an example. You know, everybody passes by trash either in their house or outside or whatever, and if it's in an area that's your responsibility and you pass by and you typically ignore it, but your gut says to pick it up, you're missing the opportunity to train yourself to listen to your subconscious. Mm. So I start with a very, very small – anytime I'm very aware now through building it of what my, my gut's telling me to do. So every time it says, hey, pick up that piece of trash, or we've all had this before, where you're like, hey, I'm thinking of somebody, I should call them, and then you're like, nah, I don't want to, right? No, make the phone calls immediately. That's an opportunity to train it right there. I get on my phone, doesn't matter what I'm doing. Get on my phone, I send a text, boom, I'm listening to my subconscious again. So through that, I've been able to like listen and pick up on the correct noise, not the wrong noise. Um, and then the next thing you do, I'll give a free exercise on here for, for the listeners, is Absolutely. if you take a coin, and you put your decisions on both sides of it, right? So you're facing two decisions and you just label heads and label tails and put your trust and faith in the flipping of the coin. But when it gets to the apex, ask yourself, what do you hope it lands on? Mm. And then don't even look at the coin when it pops up. Don't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it was head or tails or whatever. It's what you wanted when it was at that apex. And that is your subconscious jumping in and just listen to that. There you go. Boom. There's your guiding principle. Hit it. Oh shit, dude. That actually sounds pretty fucking awesome. I've never heard of that before. That's, that's really cool. And I think a lot of people will go out and say, I don't know what I want, or I don't know what the answer is, or I don't know what direction to take. But I think deep down, most people do know, like everyone does. Yes. But I think like you said before, that negative voice will get in our way and try to tell us that we don't know, or tell us that whatever we're thinking is bullshit or that we're not good enough or anything like that. And one thing that I think this could relate to, and I, I definitely want to talk about this because I think this is what makes you like so fucking awesome in the sense is, is a suffering Saturday. So like, I'm sure that when you go through those practices, that negative voice is trying to come in and is trying to fucking stop you in there. So, 
but before we kind of talk about like how you manage that negative voice and you kind of already did already, but like, could you explain what suffering Saturday is to our listeners and why you do it? Because I think number one, it is one of the most incredible, I think tools that people can use Two, It's like when you do it every single Saturday, I'm looking at your Instagram and I'm fucking getting inspired by all the crazy shit that you're doing. And three, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's something that people counterintuitively don't understand because usually people want to get away from suffering, but you fucking go headfirst into it. Yeah. So, yeah can yeah. you explain what it is and, and, and sure. why it's so important to you? Yes. Um, so we've all heard that, you know, do what makes us uncomfortable because that's where the most growth happens, but nobody ever implements anything to get there. Right. And I'm naturally a guy that's into fitness. I do like to do hard stuff because it challenges me, but I created Suffering Saturdays because it gave me an opportunity to routinely practice getting in that space of being uncomfortable so that my weak voice can get louder. It's at times when we're suffering the most, but that voice is the loudest. When I was at rock bottom living on that air mattress, my negative voice was the loudest. When I was you know, dropping out of college, my negative voice was the loudest. When I'm on these crazy runs on the weekend, that is when the voice is the loudest. And acknowledging it and getting in that space is super important because we can learn to dominate it. We can learn to control it. We can learn to you know, suppress it so that it doesn't decide, it doesn't get a chance to tell us what to do with our life. So Suffering Saturday is a way for me to face that, that noise. And it's a way for me to find the next level of myself. And that I, I put it into a physical space, right? So most of it's physical, but Suffering Saturday is physical and mental. So if I get to a day where I climb, I did a 30-mile trail run where I climb Pikes Peak from my house and back. At the end of that, the following week, my body needed a little bit of recovery time. Right. So I didn't go do another 30 miles. What I said was I'll go do an hour of rowing, an hour of lifting, and then I'll do an hour of meditating. So, so if you think about it, it, it's, it's a chance for you to push yourself in multiple spaces, mentally and physically. And when you meditate for an hour, you're in that playground like we just talked about. For sure. For sure, dude. Like I can't even imagine <laughs> meditating for an hour. That is, that is crazy. Cause again, yeah, that negative voice is going to come in and it's so loud because literally meditating, you are, you're in your thoughts. Like there, yes. like, I think I can't even imagine probably meditating after an hour might be just as bad as like the top of like Pike's peak, like in terms of like that voice coming out, like it is. that, that is crazy. But, um, but yeah, man, I just, I, I love how you go in and, and conquer those challenges every single Saturday. And it, and it always just tells me too, like, it's like when I, 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 and I'm not just saying this just to say this, like literally times when I think that I'm not doing enough or I think I could push myself, I usually will think about those suffering Saturdays because like usually my Saturday is my day to get after it. And I always see you, you, you getting after it. And so I'm like, fuck, like, I got to push myself a little harder. So, so what exactly do you do in those moments? Like, and for reference too, for our listeners, this motherfucker right here signed up for a hundred mile race like six days before with no training, like only ran like 26 miles the most before. And he fucking completed the race (laughs) with no training, which I think is just fucking bananas and awesome. (laughs) But so, so when you're in these suffering Saturdays and that hundred mile race at like mile 60, mile 70, or, you know, you're, you're just about to the top of Pike's peak. What the hell are you actually doing? to curb that negative voice and to get stronger as you go, even though your body may be shutting down your mind is just going fucking berserk. Yeah. So 
typically every single one of my suffering Saturday workouts is tied to a specific future goal. And so I link the two. That's the first thing that I do. I go, I execute my workout with the intention of, Hey, I need to finish this and, and absolutely win. If I want to achieve X, Y, and Z later on, that's the first thing I do. So I use it as a, as a method to prove myself to myself to say, Hey, listen, I'm in this for the long haul, right? Like you're, I don't care what the excuses are. I'm here to win. And it gives me a chance to prove myself over and over and over again, because it takes a long time to get from one goal to the next. Right. And so suffering Saturdays is something that everybody can do because you might not be able to do something hard every single day of the week, but everybody has time to do something at least one day a week. And if you can't do it during the week and whatever, do it once a month. But regardless, you can build this stuff into your life to where you can challenge yourself and do the uncomfortable. And it gives you an opportunity to, like I said, to train for something, right? Attach it to other meanings in your life. The hundred mile is a great example. So when I, when I did the hundred miles, um, I had seen some guys that had, had ran a hundred miles and I started being really inquisitive. I said, man, that's kind of interesting. And I was doing some good workouts and stuff, but nothing like that. And, um, this opportunity popped up. There was a race out here in Colorado. It's called the silver heels 100. And it's one of the toughest ultras in the the United States. Mm -hmm. It's at the second highest elevation in, in the continental U S and I signed up for it on a Sunday and the race was on a Saturday. So <clears throat> before I, before I did, I, I, I looked at it and I had a buddy that I knew that ran ultras. I said, Hey man, just safety check. Am I absolutely insane for signing up on this? And he said, well, you should probably prep a little bit more, but you might be all right. I said, boom, I'm doing it. All right. So that was enough for me. And <laughs> With the hundred miles, it's kind of a funny story. So I signed up six days before. I really don't know anything about ultra running. Um, my wife has her business going on, so I end up taking an Uber from my house to the race, which is an hour and I don't know, an hour and a half into the middle of fucking nowhere. And I'm driving with this guy, and he's not going to get any business coming back. Like it's in the middle of nowhere, right? So I feel bad that this guy I hired this guy to drive out of nowhere. nowhere. I got my, my, my bag for the race, some, some snacks in there, a pair of shoes, minimal gear because I don't know anything about ultra racing. And uh, I show up, I check in, I rush over to my hotel, and I get to bed at like, I don't know, 10 p.m., and I have to be up at 2 p.m. or 2 a.m. So I get four hours of sleep. Uh, I show up to the race, and <clears throat> in ultra running, you have what's, what are called drop bags where you have – you know, aid bags and food for stations. I thought that they were going to be spread out. My, my drop bags would be spread out at every single aid station across a hundred miles, but that wasn't the case. They, they were going to be spread out on two aid stations. And the first one was at like mile 40. And then the second one was at like mile 60 or something like that. So I start off the race at, it ends up being start time was like four o'clock in the morning. I start the race and I don't have shit on me. And I start running with some guys that had done some more ultras before. I start picking their brains and asking, learning about ultra running while I'm doing it, one of the hardest ones out there. And I said, all right, how do you guys prep? How do you guys eat all this stuff? Right? How do you guys handle your nutrition? And I do that for you know 15 miles with these guys. And um, <clears throat> I start getting a nasty headache. 
and that turns into a stomach ache. And next thing you know, like I can barely freaking walk. I'm hurting so bad. And worst pain I've ever been in in my life. And somebody tells me, hey, you have a headache, try some electrolytes. So I grab some base powder, which I've never had before, and I drink too much of it. And in hindsight, I was making myself more sick. So I start drinking this stuff, and my stomach gets worse and worse and worse. Next thing you know, I'm so nauseous that like, I physically can't freaking move. And I get to mile um, 20. This is mile 20 of 100 miles, 103 miles. And so that negative voice comes up, and it starts telling me, like, you're not going to make it. You're not cut out for this, blah, 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 blah. All that negative shit. So I keep pushing, I keep pushing. I said, all right, you know, my last thing I can do here is try to take a rest and, you know, shake this out. So I lay down, uh, take my shoes off. I set my alarm for, I think it was like 20 or 25 minutes. And five minutes before the alarm goes off, this feeling just hits me. Like I just get hit. Like if, if God ever touched me, it was this moment. And I like jumped up. And all that negative voice in my head got overran by this new person, this new identity. And he said, fuck that. You're going to finish this. I put on my shoes. I got all this aggression in me now. And I said over my head, I said, I don't give a shit. If you're going to be in pain for the next 80 fucking miles, you're going to either finish this or you're going to die trying. And so I start digging and I started going and I started going. And I'm walking at first, I'm walking at first, I get through, I hit some nasty hills, and all of a sudden, at mile 40, the fog is lifted, mm. and I broke out of it, and where I thought I was at 100%, you know, David Goggins talks about this, I was only at 40%, mm. I thought I was at my 100%, and I break through all of it, my, my nausea is gone, I'm starting to run again, I'm feeling good, and I'm reborn, I said, you know, in that moment, I was like, the voice that, that overcame me was, you don't quit, you quit nothing, is what the voice was saying. Like, you're a guy, you do not quit. And so then I just kept digging, man. And anyways, the fog lifted, I took off. The next, you know, 60 miles at that point were tough, but it was nothing like that, that 20-mile marker. And it was a very phenomenal and um, eye-opening experience, man. It was great. But what, but what got me to it, sorry, but kind of great story, right? But oh, I'm so glad you shared that. That was fucking awesome. I got, <laughs> I got chills listening to that shit, man. <laughs> so so this, is, this is why I do Suffering Saturdays. This is why I put myself in those positions to redefine who I am. And when I'm going through that, what got me through that moment was that I had, I had routinely and religiously practiced my why. And when I talked to you about before about connecting what I want versus where I'm at, you know, that's, that's what I was doing. I said, listen, I have to finish this hundred mile race. If I want to achieve X, Y, and Z later in life, if I want this other life for me later on, that's what this race means to me or going as far as I can at a minimum. And that was enough to pull me through that moment. So I do that over and over and over again to help expand what I think I'm capable of. Oh, fuck. Yeah, man. Especially when you go into it and you have literally no training, like you said before, you're yeah. like learning on the fly, man. Like you're just like, you can say like, okay, fuck it. Like there's this big goal that I have, but like, I, if I know nothing in the space, who cares? Like I ran a fucking hundred mile race that, you know, with no training, I can fucking probably do this goal without like any knowledge or anything. So I think that's so powerful. And I'm so glad you told that story. Cause it's, I think it's so cool. So powerful. Cause a lot of people would be like, no way 
that anyone could finish that race without fucking training. But man, you you took it by the balls and, and owned that thing. So I think that's that's so cool, man. People spend people spend way too much time preparing for something to try to get it all perfect, and the end result is that they're still going to hiccup and fail. So I would rather get to that failure faster, learn the lesson, and now I can move on a lot quicker while they're still preparing for the next little thing, right? Try and get it perfect and right. No, I already, I already said I already got it. I'm fucking a year ahead of you, right? Here we go. Boom. Exactly. And, and the sooner you fail, like literally, especially in the magnitude of failure, the the faster you're going to learn relative to those yeah. small little failures along the way. Like, dude, like I did my first 50 K like I was telling you about, but I prepped for a long time. And guess what? When I did the 50 K, we almost didn't finish. And I'm like, Holy shit, man, I prepped eight months for that shit. And I almost <laughs> still didn't finish. Like yeah. what the fuck? I might as well just not have like trained at all. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> I totally see your point, man. It makes yeah. so much sense. So for all of our listeners out there, like, I think you really take away from that. Just go, dive into fucking big challenges who the fuck cares if you didn't prep who the fuck cares what people are saying to you if you don't believe you have the resources or anything because even jeremiah says you know he didn't have the resources growing up he was undersized and everything like that but he was resourceful man and i think like there's just so many tips on like how you can essentially learn how to get in that big challenge if you just keep following his work because i think he's so fucking powerful man and i i love this conversation i wish we can keep going because there's just so much stuff but what I would suggest to you is to follow this man and really learn all he's got to say. So Jeremiah, before I ask my last uh, quick question, where can our listeners find you if they are wanting to dive into your world? And if they're even interested in, in signing up for Conquer Academy, where can they do so if you are taking clients at this time? Yeah. So the best thing to do is to follow me on Instagram. That's where I focus a lot of my time and energy. So I'm just at Jeremiah Solvin, J-E-R-A-M-I-A-H-S-O-L-V-E-N. So at Jeremiah Sullivan on Instagram is the best place. It's where all my content is. I give away tons of free content. And I'm a big believer in practical tools, not this fluff. I, I'm a guy that tells you how to do it, not just what to do. Um, there's way too much of the other stuff out there. So start with Instagram. For anybody that listens to this podcast, this episode here, if you guys, to, to give back to the community, I will give a free coaching call to anybody that listens that wants it. Um, all you got to do is direct message me. Uh, just say the art of fulfillment and we'll go into a discussion on Instagram. I'll give you a, a free 45 minute coaching call to help break through whatever current level you're at. And that, that'll get you started. Um, but for everybody else, Instagram and then conqueracademycoaching.com is my two platforms where you can get access to me. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, guys, it totally I totally suggest you dig into his world and learn all about his stuff. If you really want to take your life to the next level, I think he can be an incredible coach for you too. But maybe if you're not ready to totally commit yet, if you just look at his Instagram page and just look at all this like amazing content that he has out there, that's practical, not just fluff, like he said. And I can definitely verify that because I've been looking at all of his shit and it's, really really raw and palpable and useful so totally suggest you all do that and explore more of his world because man i've just enjoyed every single second of his content and also speaking with him today and it's just been absolutely awesome so jeremiah for my last question here what does fulfillment you mean to you and what fulfills you in life fulfillment to me is being at peace with the process man when, when you listen to your gut and you don't give a shit about what everybody else says you should do and shouldn't do and you listen to it and you chase that over and over and over again, there's this peace that comes about you. you. You'll know that you're on the right track. And that's fulfillment to me. Like I might not win. I might fail over and over again. But if I'm at peace with that process, then, that, then I'm going to be fulfilled. Fuck yeah, man. That is absolutely awesome. Jeremiah, you're a fucking rock star. Thank you so much for coming on the show. All right, Joe. Thanks for having me, man.
Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys, if you're as fired up as I am after that episode, I encourage you to take action immediately. If you have learned, and I bet you have some great things from this podcast. There's a lot of great things that Jeremiah said in there, like finding your purpose in life, doing hard things, go plan out a giant workout. Tomorrow is Memorial Day here, even though this is going to release a few weeks after it. But if you were listening to this before a weekend, plan a suffering Saturday, go out there, beat yourself up, get yourself in adverse situations, conquer that negative voice, and just also explore his world. I promise you when you follow him, you will not regret it. So thank you so much for listening, guys. We will see you next week on The Art of Fulfillment. And thank you so much for listening. Take care.